30 times in the Gospels we read this statement, Jesus saw. Jesus saw is the launching point of the most amazing stories of transformed lives of which we've just heard. If we want to have the results Jesus had, those amazing stories, we need to do what Jesus did. Last week we talked about Jesus saw one, one at a time. In the midst of multitudes, he zeroed in and worked with one. And from that one, then the gospel exploded. And doing what Jesus did begins by seeing what Jesus saw. As we just said, over 40 times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the phrase, Jesus saw, is noted. So Jesus worked one-on-one. And we want to do what Jesus wants us to do. And doing what Jesus did begins by you and me seeing what Jesus saw. One at a time, not a crowd. A person, a person that has worth. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers into his harvest. Seeing the people, Jesus saw. When Jesus saw, then he what? He had compassion. Compassion, according to Webster, is this. It's a sympathetic consciousness of other distress together with a desire to alleviate it. Let me read that again. Compassion is a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together, together with a desire to alleviate it. Depending on research you look at, and you could look at a myriad of research on this topic, there are anywhere from six to 34,000 emotions we can experience. Wow, how many of you have been in a family situation where you have experienced all 34,000? <laughs> Some of us can express all 34,000 of those emotions ourselves, amen? Spouses, this is when you stand up and say, hey, amen, hallelujah, let me tell you about it. If we look at the Gospels in a little more detail, Jesus experienced emotion. In fact, specifically, these are listed in the Gospels. Jesus experienced exhaustion, joy, 
anger, frustration, disgust, grief, loneliness, rejection, and dread. But more than any other emotion, as you look at the Gospels before us, there was one emotion that stood out above all the rest. Jesus felt compassion. We just read Matthew 9, 36. Jesus seeing the people, he felt compassion. Unfortunately, our emotions are mostly about us, if we're honest with ourselves. I'm tired. I'm upset. I feel lonely. Jesus' emotions, although feeling many, were mostly determined by what others were going through. Let me say that again. Even though Jesus had all of these emotions that the gospel reveals to us, which reveals his humanity to us so that we can relate to him, even though he had all of those emotions, mostly and above all else, Jesus' emotions were determined by what he saw, by what others were going through. Now just think for a second how the world would change if our emotions followed that. Jesus did not stop with just feeling for others. He saw. He had compassion. And then he acted. We think we are good if we just feel bad for someone else. Think about it. Those pictures of starving children on TV breaks our heart may bring us to tears, as the song said. But does it drive us to action? Oh, I have compassion for for what's happening. But the definition by Webster himself says, not only do you have sympathetic feelings for somebody and want to try to alleviate it, but you do then do something to try to alleviate it. To follow Jesus, we must not stop at feeling just compassionate. We must let our compassion drive us to action. Starting to see how God has perfectly woven today's worship service together. Let's look more deeply at what the Bible says. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, in verse 34, says this, moved with, you're not there yet, okay, I'll wait, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. He had compassion, he was moved to action, and there was a result that he was glorified and honored. 
Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, New Testament, Mark chapter 1, verse 41. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Jesus saw, he felt compassion, and he followed it up with action, and healing took place. Look with me, Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. He saw, had compassion, and began to teach out of that compassion. Turn with me back to Matthew 9. Matthew 9, verse, beginning at verse 35. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, the beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. We've read it once. We've read it twice. Jesus saw. He felt compassion. And then he reacted out of the compassion. He prayed for people. He healed people. He touched people. He fed people. He taught people. Whatever drove him into that compassion became an action that then resulted in people's lives being changed. Not just for the glory of God, that's the greatest thing, but he met their physical needs right where they were. You see, we are praying for revival in our world today and have been for some time, over many, many years. And yet God sits up there waiting, I'm ready, when are you guys going to do it? When are you going to see a person? When are you going to concentrate on a person? When are you going to have compassion on people out of the compassion of the scriptures and out of God himself? When are you then going to let that compassion drive you forward to step out of your comfort zone to do things that you might not normally do, but to trust that God will speak in and through you And let him do the work for his glory and honor. And oh, by the way, 60 people plus will be touched with the message of love and generosity because 12 pies were left over the night before and didn't want to be wasted. And some people were willing to pick them up after church out of their ordinary route to get home and have lunch and then go out of their way and deliver them to somebody And let God do the rest. God works out the details, doesn't he, Beth? 
Her favorite pie was coconut. Who would have thought there was one coconut pie over there? And Beth got it. And Pam got it. That's not happenstance, my friends. No matter what the world says. When God moves, he moves in the smallest and the greatest of ways, if we but let him. But what happens then is we let him move, and we're going, oh, wow, that was pretty cool. And then we're on about our way, and we forget. We don't thank him and praise him and give him the glory and the honor that it wasn't just happened that way. God is alive today, right here, right now, all over this world. He's not a God of the past, a God of way far out there. He's not a God of just history alone. He's not, he's not dead and in a tomb. He's alive and, and, and watching over us and walking with life and availing himself to us through the power of his Holy Spirit so that we can do the things that he needs to be done. He wants to be done. He wants to use us to do those things. He doesn't need us, does he? No way. He's God. Give me a break. Snap his fingers and it's done. But because of his compassion, because of his love, he wants, he created us to be used by him for his glory and honor. Why? So that he would be glorified, but so that we would be blessed because we get to partake in the greatest story of all eternity, and that's God's story. Amen? That's pretty cool. I don't know of any other team that's better than that now you don't get a fancy uniform i'm going to tell you that not yet not down here but we do get a uniform eventually don't we I, i'm not quite sure what it's going to look like you know i got my visions of this really pretty white robe or maybe it's pants and a top shirt for us guys but wings halo jetpack God doesn't tell us specifically because he wants us to think about it and dream about it and hope about it. But down here, we, just as we are, are ready to be used by God. Jesus saw, Jesus felt compassion, Jesus acted, which created a story. God worked through all of you who took the pies and Beth, and, and, and it created a story to tell. And now... I said, told Beth, I said, we got to tell the story. You got to tell it. And for the rest of you, I know you had stories too of neighbors that you took the pies to and, and different situations. You need to tell those stories. Not for your glory, but for God's glory. We can, we can and, and must begin to see as Jesus saw. We must experience true compassion for what others are going through, not be so caught up in ourselves. We saw pain this morning expressed this morning because it just couldn't stay in it was it overflowed we we many had tears in our eyes out of compassion now let us react to that compassion and show love and and pray for and be there for our friends and our brothers in Christ we must act out of our compassion we pray God's will be done we then must be ready. Now, how many times? Let's, let's pray God's will be done. Yep, we pray it. Let's pray God's will be done, and then we're on about our way. We must then be ready to listen and be obedient to God's voice. When we pray, God answers. Amen? That's what the Bible says. Yes? 
Ask and it shall be given, I believe is the scripture. Yes? But it says ask according to what, Adam? His will, not my will. But Lord, if I had it my way, I think there was a fast food chain that had that. But not in God's. We pray his will be done. Help us to accept his will. And use me, Lord, however. Then prayers are answered. We must be obedient to the voice of God. If you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 8. If anybody has the crock pot on, you need to call home and have it turned off for a minute. We're going to run. We're going to run just a little bit late, okay? Anybody got reservations for lunch? Prayerfully, you'll forgive and be okay with this. Acts chapter 8, look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized. Men and women alike, even Simon himself, believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Pick up now in verse 25, if you would. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip... Now, let me give you a little background. We just read Philip was busy preaching, and he was having a successful revival. We read that in verse 12. Many people were responding to Philip preaching the gospel message, so things were happening. But in the midst of the success of Philip, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, today, we would say, wait a minute, angel, wait a minute, Lord, don't you see? Good things are happening. I need to stay here because it's me that's doing it. Isn't that how we do it? But Philip, the angel says, get up, go south, that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So Philip, in verse 27, what does he do? So he got up and went. Wow. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. This is a familiar story for most. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, hey, Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip's response. Philip ran up. How many of you, when, the angel, when an angel just speaks to you, your first response is to go, first of all, then the angel speaks again, and your first response is to run. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm afraid some days I'd be like Jonah. Jonah was told to go, and what'd he do? He ran the opposite way, and he found himself in... This is a test. The belly of a whale. I don't know about you, but that should be motivation for us to make sure we're running the right way when the angels are speaking to us. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, said to the 
Ethiopian eunuch, never met him. This was an important man. He had a chariot back then. That's kind of like having a private jet. Philip runs up to him, hears him reading, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will, re- who will, relate, his gen- who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. He preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water Philip, as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Let's look at this. Philip listened. Philip was preaching. He was doing God's word. God spoke. Philip listened. And was obedient to God. Because of his obedience, people came to Jesus. They were baptized. You might say that Philip, you might say that was Philip, not me, in being obedient. In being willing to get out of his comfort zone. In being willing to run when Jesus told him to go a different way. In being willing to go into the chariot. Not only to go to the chariot, but to open it and to speak and to preach Jesus to that person that he had never heard before. You might say, that's Philip, Mark. That's the guy of the Bible. There is no way, no way I could ever do this. Wrong. Philip basically went to that chariot on the commandment of God and started a conversation with that eunuch by first asking a question. After Philip asked a question, then he listened. And after he listened, then he shared. And after he shared, there was a result. Not hard by any means. Oh, you say, come on, Mark, give me a break. If I don't know them, I mean, oh my gosh, they might pull out a gun and shoot me. They might. But we're not talking about being moved by me or my thoughts or you or your thoughts. We're being spurred on to action and to compassion and to action because God, the creator of all the world, is prompting us to do it. How many times have we squelched the spirit of God, the spirit of almighty God, because when we, we were being nudged to do something, to open a door, to say good morning, to, to let somebody else go first in the line, or, or whatever the case, take a pie, whatever the case is, how many times have we squelched the spirits by saying, somebody else will do it? He couldn't be mean. It couldn't be me that needs to do that. You see, we look at it as me, me doing it. 
Me having the ability. Me having the words. Me having the strength. Philip and others before us in this room are many examples of people who have shared where they didn't feel comfortable, but they stepped out on faith. And God, through them, did some incredible things for God's glory and honor, but because they availed themselves to do it. Understand this. What you and I have to share with people, anybody, everybody, not just those you know, not just those you love, but also your enemies, also uh, the people you don't know, and, and, and it, what we have, what you and I have to share with people is this, good news about Jesus. Think about that. We're not just going to tell them what the weather is going to be and hope. What we have to share is good news about Jesus. How many people need to know good news about Jesus? Everybody's got your calculators out. Let's Google it. Google Mark real quick. Everybody needs to know about Jesus. Because then it's everybody's responsibility to decide if they accept Jesus. Because Jesus is the only way to God. That's what the Bible says. Jesus is the only way that we can have and spend eternity in heaven with God and not go to hell. That's what the Bible says. That's not what Google says. That, well, Google might say that because the Bible says that, but I don't know. I haven't Googled it. If you want to Google it and tell me after service, you do that. But I'm just saying the Bible says it first and foremost. That we need the good news of Jesus, not just we, everybody needs the good news of Jesus. Those that you think are least likely to listen to you, they need the good news about Jesus. I want to tell you a story of what happened a few weeks ago. And for those that are in the, don't get nervous, I'm not going to call you up here and you relate this story, but I'll just relate it and not divulge who told me this. I was in the back in the fellowship hall, and then we're going to wrap up, I promise. I don't want to burn the stake. I was in the back in the fellowship hall, and, and, and one of our senior saint men walked over, and I respect this man with all of my being. And, and, and a, a younger member of our congregation walked over, and we began to, to have a conversation. And all of a sudden, the conversation started like this. Did you know, Mark, that in a, a city real near us, and I don't want to hurt anything, but in a city real near us, that there on one end of this warehouse, there's a, a, a brewery. Serves good barbecue. And they said, did you know on the other end of that warehouse, there's a church? And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I know where this is going. And I hadn't preached yet that day. And the conversation ensued. They said, did you know that that, that church sometimes has one of those uh, tasting parties with that brewery? God and the gospel and beer. Now, I could have just said, hey, let us pray and I need to leave. But God just spoke and he said, I, and we, the conversation continued. And I said, well, you know the Bible does not say you cannot drink. Now, don't shoot me for those that are against me. I'm just speaking the Bible. The Bible says, it doesn't say you can't. It just says don't get that's right. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says don't get drunk. And therein lies the problem because 99% of our population can't stop when they should stop. Amen? 
But it doesn't say you can't. And it also tells us in the Bible that if it's a stumbling block for somebody else, if alcohol or drugs or, or chocolate <laughs> or pie is a stumbling block for somebody else, then what's the Bible say we should do? Stay away from it. And 99% of our population can't do that even for a friend. That's what the Bible says. And so as we ensued in that conversation, I said, so, you know, as weird as it might be to have one on one end and one on the other end, and, and, and the world might think it's a mix of stories, those people in that brewery that eat that barbecue and drink those beers need Jesus just as much as you and me, amen? And how are they going to hear if nobody goes to tell them? Now, for those that have a weakness, we don't want to send you. But if anybody is strengthened, by all means, go to share the gospel. Because everybody needs to hear the good news about Jesus, amen? And we need to stop conflicting what the Bible says and turning it into what we want it to say just because it's easier. I think the Pharisees and Sadducees did enough of that. Now, I want to go on because this man that I respect with my whole being told a story, and I'll end with that story. He said when he was a young lad at five or six, went into church one Sunday, and there was a real hubbub going on. You could tell something was astir. Leadership was talking to people, and people were, you know, their dandy thing was up, or dander for dander, or whatever. Apparently that week, somebody had seen the preacher go into the tavern. That's what they used to call them, taverns. There was one in Atlanta. The rule when I was young, you weren't supposed, to, as kids going back and forth to school, to kindergarten, first grade, you weren't supposed to, to, to peek underneath the curtain at the tavern. I guess afraid of whom we might see. But of course, you tell us not to do it. Guess what us little kindergarten, first graders did? We're trying the best we can to peek in that little spot to see who's in there. But coming out of the tavern. And boy, did that set off a fire alarm. Church that morning was ablaze. But when the rest of the story was heard, and it goes like this. A lady from the congregation had called the pastor that night. He did not share his values or his political viewpoint. Philip pointed this Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus. And he got personal enough to invite the Ethiopian man to take a next step closer to God. We read the result. The eunuch was baptized and went away rejoicing. Don't run away. Run toward Don't let the people know just half the story. And don't be afraid of the story that might get convoluted and told. Because what really matters is what God knows. And to God be all the glory and honor.